Welcome to the Absent Father Podcast, a weekly conversation where we discuss the impacts in all areas of our life of growing up with an absent father, how to overcome them, and the superpowers we create along the way. I'm your host, Rodney Miller, executive coach, MBA, and son of an absent father. You can learn more about me and get in touch by visiting www.rodneymuller.com. We got greatness by choice. We got gravity by chance. Welcome to another episode of the Absent Father podcast. I am delighted for the next guest today. Uh, her name is Courtney, and she is a extraordinary woman, a mother of two boys uh, in her in her uh, early fifties, successful in her career. And she shares just a beautiful story um, and a painful story of uh, her experience of uh, starting with kind of the idyllic family and uh, going through a divorce around the age of 10 years old um, and kind of the impact of that experience uh, where her father later becomes essentially absent um, uh, throughout her life. Uh, it's a very uh, painful and raw and honest story, and I am so grateful uh, for Courtney and the way that she shares and her real commitment just to share her story in hopes that it makes a difference for somebody out there, that somebody can also connect with her story and maybe not beat ourselves up so much about how we react to those experiences growing up. Uh, she talks about uh, later being married uh, raising her boys and what that experience was like, and now how how it impacts her today, but also the gifts that she created from that experience. She is a resilient, uh, courageous, hardworking leader who deeply gets uh, other people um, and has used that to create a successful career and also become an extraordinary mom. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode. And one more reminder, if you do enjoy the episode, if you're connecting with it and you get something through the episode, please rate and review the podcast. It's what helps other people find the podcast. And my highest hope is that all the people that need to hear, need to connect and hear this story, that they have access to it, they find it. Because this conversation is uncommon. We're not really talking about it. So um, at the least, if you could rate and review the podcast, it helps other people uh, listen to it. Or if you know someone who you know has an absent or distant father that is searching for something, uh, please share it with them directly. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Courtney. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Absent Father podcast. I'm so delighted to be joined by Courtney today. Um, so let's just get started with it. I uniquely, you are a person who actually had found the Absent Father podcast and connected with it and reached out. So I'd love to hear how'd you find the podcast and why why did it strike you? What about it did you connect to? Yeah, so I kind of think the podcast might have found me because I was just kind of on my phone and you know looking at things. I actually had some moment to myself having some coffee on a Sunday morning. My husband was playing golf. My kids were out of the house and I saw uh, Absent Father podcast and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. 
And then I looked at the episodes and it says, why do fathers leave? And you had two episodes and I, I started there and I was, you know, pretty, pretty, um, moved and it started to make me think. And I listened to, you know, I obviously binged it the entire podcast that day. Hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's, it's so cool. And I, I got to tell you, and I have shared this, I think, with a lot of the people that reach out, you know, uh, this started as I want to tell one story and maybe it would help one person. Um, and it's still hard for me to believe that people are actually finding the podcast. They're really connecting with it in that way. So it's really a gift. Uh, it was a gift to hear from you um, and to be reminded that not only is the work that uh, I'm sharing, does it matter, but also that I'm not alone <laughs> um, and that there is this experience that we share. So uh, thank you so much. I'm so happy uh, to have you on the show. What What is your absent father story? If we just jump right into it, where where are you today? Like, who are you? What are you up to? And, and what's your absent father story? Yeah. So um, on the outside, I look like a pretty normal, successful person. I'm uh, 51 years old, um, live in the suburbs in Philadelphia. Um, I am a regional director for an artificial intelligence company, um, which uses artificial intelligence and applies it to the healthcare system, specifically time-sensitive disease states like stroke. Um, so, um, I've been in medical devices for 25 years, uh, launched the first coronary stent in the United States back in 1995 and have been, uh, an work, work, work ever all the way through, which we can talk nice. about all that later. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we're going to get into that later. I mean, as yeah. soon as you shared that you were in medical devices, um, I, I was like, oh yeah, I get that. Uh, when we think about superpowers, not only, um, not only the ability to work like an animal <laughs> and to, to, to be great, but also when it comes to sales and building relationship and partnership, um, I think one of the innate superpowers of uh, people who grew up with an absent or distant father is this ability to build trust and partnership and to not be weird in relationship. Like there's such an intuitive way of um, creating relationships. So we make great salespeople. Yes. Yes. We do. And leaders. Connect with people. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. So tell me what's your absent father story. Uh, yeah, tell me that. Yeah. So I'm um, in a nutshell, um, you know, your story really resonated um, with me and I started to kind of think about mine and like you had just um, thanked me. I just want to thank you for having the courage and the vulnerability and to discuss what you discussed because there's so many things that come with it. Um, shame and all of it. Um, so I was about 10 and, uh, or like maybe like eight. And, um, you know, I had a very strong mother. I still have a very strong mother, dominant mother, married, married a man. Um, my mother is a single child of, of um, an only child of six marriages. And she married my father a little bit older. He was, um, a, a boarding, a boarding school teacher and, um, a coach and a teacher and with some learning differences though he didn't know at the time. And my mom was sort of you know, just trying to find somebody to plant her and to, to, to kind of just to get away from this kind of destructive home life that she grew up with. And um, my dad was kind of like laid back with like a wholesome, you know, all-American football guy. And, um, you know, she thought he was great looking. And so she's like, hey, this is going to be great. So she um, marries him in August and leaves him in February. <clears throat> and because she doesn't like living in boarding school and she doesn't like living in being a wife of a teacher. So she leaves him. She goes back to the city. So anyway, somehow they get back together. She, she tells him she, you know, basically she's going to 
make him have his career, which she got through her father and she kind of made him be this, what he needed to be. Anyways, long story short is um, somehow they thought having two kids would be a great idea. And, um, <laughs> and so they had my sister who's five and a half years older than I am. And um, my mom swore that she would never have another child. One was good enough. And she was very unhappy, very unhappy with my dad and very unhappy just in general. And um, four years later, got pregnant with myself and didn't know until she was, well, she knew she was pregnant. She just didn't want to be. Um, and then like at five, five months pregnant, she was like, oh my gosh, I'm really going to have this baby. And she had me and she said that's when she really had to get her shit together. And um, kind of interesting. So, you know, we're, I'm born. I think everything's normal. I have an older sister. We live in the suburbs. My dad works for a large company. My mom stays home. And um, I'm in third grade. Fast forward, we moved a couple of times. My mom says to me one day, um, what would you think about, I was eight. She said, what would you think about if I left your father? Or because we just don't get along. And I'm like, oh, wow. I thought it's so abstract when you're eight years old to think of, it's developmentally so much bigger than you are. So I ran downstairs and told my dad, I was really into like this farm and I was into like rabbit hides. I was kind of like the tomboy. And I said, he was tanning one of my rabbit hides. And I said, listen, you're not leaving, are you? And he said, no, I would never leave. Why would you ask that? I said, mom says, you're leaving. So he cried and he hugged me. He said, I would never leave you. And then two years later, my mom just um, was like, um, you know, basically we're not getting along and things weren't going very, very well. And, um, but still I'm thinking, well, you know, they're still together. We're okay. You know, you're a little, you're, you're just kind of little, you're playing outside, you're playing kick the can, you're, you're sort of just, you know, being 10. And um, I came home one day sick from school. My mom was working and I went the, the nurse said to me, you can go home. Your mom works. Just, you know, call me when you get home. So I went to my house, walked home. I went under the milk box to pull the key out. And I looked into the window in the kitchen window. My mom was in there with another man. I didn't, I didn't know who he was. Never saw him before in my life. She was sitting in his lap. <laughs> hmm. So um, at that moment, I became 50. Hmm. They were you know, kind of kissing. And I remember thinking to myself, it looks like a soap opera. Like it looks like general hospital. Hmm. Cause that was the only thing that I had seen that had ever looked like that. Hmm. Wow. That's kind of like, talk about like kind of living a, a life, you know, and of course, I, I mean, it's so interesting. Um, the vividness of your memories, you know, at such a young age. And I, you know, I remember, you know, there's these moments sort of get frozen in our memory. Um, and I, I'm so present to how, uh, and I, I think this is true for a lot of people that, that have these sort of events growing up is that, you know, over here, I can hear at eight, what it must've been like, like the amount of emotional maturity that would have been required to manage that sort of emotion that we just, you literally ha cannot manage at eight, you know? Yeah. Um, and you then not, at 10. Yeah. You just can't, you're just not able to, to process it. So therefore 
it stays with you and continues to, I, I want to say, haunt because as you grow and as you're able to accept these larger kind of stories that have happened to you into your framework developmentally, it takes you right back and it keeps taking you right back and you have to reprocess it and then move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that is a, a way to think about it. Like they, they do, they leave an imprint on our, uh, on our inner selves, even our subconscious selves. And, um, uh, you know, one thing I would share is it, it really has required for me in my own healing process is really, um, tending to the inner child's experience. I, I found inner child work, which sounds really woo-woo, but it's really not that woo-woo <laughs> when you get into it. Cause it's like, um, as children, we had that, these kind of like, you know, as you, as you describe that, like the only image I could come up with is like being hit by a two by four, you know, just like so out of the left field. Um, and so being able to rework through that and reprocess um, has been really healing for me. But um, so, so there you're 10 years old, you come home from school early. Um, you, you find your mom with a man that you don't know. Uh, what, what happened from there? So I just, you know, walked in and said, hi. And she said, Oh, and how are you home? Are you okay? And took my temperature. And she said, this is Mr. So-and-so. And I said, Oh, great. And, um, you know, so it turns out Mr. So-and-so was her boss because she had decided not to be a stay-at-home mom anymore and gone into sales and, you know, struck up a mutual fascination with her boss, who is actually now my stepfather. And is the, the good part of that is that he's been my stepfather and probably a constant for, for 36 years, mm-hmm. 30, something like that. So that's, a, that's the good thing, but still hard. Um, and, um, you know, my dad, um, started to find out about this, this, this obviously, and would, would shake my sister and I down and say, you know, so, 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 you know, their marriage fell apart. Um, but when you, you ask the question, you know, why do fathers leave? And, you know, you talked a lot about shame and you talked a lot about, you know, them, you know, fathers not feeling good about themselves. And I, I think the piece that I find interesting here with my piece is that my father left because my mom made it so difficult for him to s- stick around. Like, you know, she's tough, really awesome. Like I love her to death, but if she could have just been a little bit better after their separate way, they went their separate ways and didn't so, you know, take him take him down so terribly um, in front of us and make us think, you know, he probably would have had the teeth to kind of stick it out, stick around and be the kind of father he probably wanted to be. But she made him feel so bad and have so much shame and feel so bad about himself that he couldn't, you know, do the things that she wanted him to do, even, you know, in the divorce or separating scenario. And cheated on him, made him feel bad. And I think in that way too, that he left because of her, because he couldn't deal with her either. Hmm. So after, I, I kind of want to go back to the um, uh, 
kind of your experience in that, you know, through that process. Cause I think there's a lot there, but um, so after, after it sounds like the, the marriage fell apart, they ended up getting divorced at some point. Uh, your mom, uh, it sounds like married the, the man and he, who became your stepfather. Um, what happened from there in terms of your relationship with your father? So my father, you know, mom, oh, he just never, ever um, really materialized to the business person that my mom thought he should be and the provider and that he should be. And my mom had very high expectations and came from a family where she would have those, you know, kind of built in expectations of what a home life looks like, what the economy, you know, what, 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 you know, what you get, what you do. And my dad really wasn't making the mark on her expectations. Um, so so therefore he was bad and then he lost his job and so he couldn't pay child support. And so he was bad and he was just bad, you know, all the way around loser, bad loser, um, in and out of court. And then finally my dad just, um, I think he got beaten up so badly. He, he found another woman and he went on and had three more children Hmm. and he basically just, um, abandoned us. And I would hear from him maybe every so often. So you go through your, your, for me, very, for a female, very, very kind of important years of developing relationships, you know, with your father and then how the, you know, I had somebody, which I thought was rejecting me, right. Didn't really want to be, and, and really went on to have his own family with a woman that really didn't want anything to do with his old family because that's complicated. So I was 10 and and he would come in and out of my life or make a phone call on my 16th birthday. But, you know, that was, that was pretty much it. Um, I, I, he, he came to my wedding in 1992. He, he, he didn't provide for us at all. He didn't pay for weddings. He didn't pay for college. He didn't pay for anything. He just would maybe show up with a card or send a card every now and again. And, um, this is really good one. So, so you gotta, you gotta hold on to your seat. So I get a, a call in about 1994 and somebody said, you know, your father won the lottery. He won the New Jersey lottery. I said, get out. So never paid a dime for us. Never did anything. My mom, my mom, you know, always tried to get money from him. I think he paid one child support payment. So I I did, I called him up and I said, did you win the lottery? And, um, my stepmother said, yes, don't, you know, I hope you're not calling for money. You know, we don't want that kind of relationship. You know, you're not going to have a relationship with your father if you're calling because of money. And I was like, no, I have my own job. I'm selling coronary stents with for Johnson & Johnson. Like, I don't need anyone's money. Um, so it was really fascinating that he won the New Jersey um, Powerball for $7 million. Wow. Wow. Okay. And uh, is your father still alive? And my father, My father passed away in 2015. Gotcha. Okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. Um, I, I, yeah, I actually thought my father thought I was, I mean, this is so crazy, but in my own mind, in my own fabric, in my own most darkest, silent self-talk, it was you're fat, you're ugly, you know, and, and even to say that, and even to like utter that word is crazy. Cause you know, as an adult, even I knew that was crazy, but that's really how you feel and how that rejection manifests itself. Yeah. Um, you're not good enough. You're not this enough. You're not, 
when he never, ever said that to me. And I know he never meant that. And I know he really, in his heart, loved me. He just didn't have the skills and the capability to overcome a, a divorce and deal with a very alpha female mother. And also he married an alpha female and had three kids and he was happy, just kind of like, that's as easy. I'm just going to stick with my new three children and live and be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things I heard, you know, related to that is, is, um, it's obviously not the case. I'm sure that any of the parties, if we could bring them all here and ask, did it have anything to do with you? Obviously didn't, but like, you know, sometimes I also think that, you know, when, like when you have another child and you know, you're a mother as well, like it's stressful, it's really stressful and scary and brings up all kinds of stuff that has nothing to do with the kid, but, but can start the sort of, um, it can be a catalyst, I think, for exposing issues in a relationship that then lead to separation. And part of what I hear is, you know, as kids, we can't help but make up stories as to why why our parent is gone. Um, and it sounds like, you know, I'm kind of curious as you, you know, you were really at a formative age, right? Like 10, 11, 12, as they were separating uh, and then going into high school. Um, what like what were what are the stories that you made up about yourself and how did that show up in in high school as you I, I presume yeah. started to yeah. date um yeah so i i was you know uber social uber uh party you know popular uh you know that kind of person that was you know i think i was always trying to do something to call attention to myself um now and looking back at it, maybe, maybe obnoxious behavior, but at that age, it's like fun behavior, you know, always the first one to have the, 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 you know, you know, to break into my mom's liquor cabinet and get the, you know, and have the fun party. And, um, you know, um, so, so I think like, you know, kind of like normal, funny, like high school behavior. And, um, you know, I, I dated and, um, I was not promiscuous at all. Always wanted to, you know, it was very, very not that way. And, um, you know, I very much wanted to find a home. Like I didn't feel stable. I didn't feel, even my mom remarried, it wasn't my father. They were having fun. I was, you know, they were traveling. They were both in sales. They were on the road. They were going to sales meetings and, you know, I was very lonely. So I, when I went to college, um, I, you know, I met, I met this, this guy when I was 21. And, um, you know, fell madly in love with him and he was stable and came from a stable home. And, and I, I wanted to marry him. I mean, I was like in, in my mind back then, I was like, I want to marry him. Like he, this is, and I was really asking a lot of somebody, but I wanted him to be, you know, my father, my, my friend, my lover, my, the father of my children. Like, you know, I just needed someone to plant me. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. I, I did a similar thing around that age where I found um, a really stable family and a wonderful person. I mean, just a wonderful person. But, um, you know, when I uh, fell in love with her, it was like her and her family and like all these needs that were getting met from like a, a, the kind of mom I wanted that really paid attention and connected and celebrated me to like this father who was an entrepreneur and made money and was a good leader. Um, that turned out pretty painfully in the end, but, um, uh, how, how, how was that for you? How did that, it sounds yeah. like 
everything showed up in that relationship and um, yeah so it was a a good relationship um i was married to him for 18 years um maybe was blind to certain things um i think you know we didn't have kids for 8 years i was you know running around overachieving being the number one salesperson winning every award making tons of money um building a house at 25 or 26 years old and you know, he was like my caretaker, like, you know, all my emotional needs were met. He was like, I always likened it to, you know, I was like the prize fighter and then I'd be banged into the corner and my nose would be bleeding and, you know, I'd be down for the count and he would be like, wipe my face off and be like, no, just get back in there. You're great, honey. You know, you're, I love you so much. You're just so great. And sort of did the things that, you know, he was more laid back and, you know, he, and that was fine. That worked, that worked fine. Um, and, and, and I was always, you know, would, you know, every now and again, be like broken down car crying about my dad. And, you know, he really understood that. Um, I felt like he understood that. And I felt like it was, a, you know, I felt like we had a good thing. Um, we had a kid, we had a, our, a, a son and, um, things became hard. Um, and what really kind of surfaced is that he had some addictive qualities and, um, I had another son and I think just the strain of that, we went through the 08 crash, lost his business, lost, and um, all of these kind of behaviors started to come out. And um, he just said, it, you know, he, you know, he had done so many bad things. He's just going to leave me. Mm-hmm. And that if he, you know, he's just going to leave, like just going to leave. And if um, in order to keep the kids up, you know, he was going to leave. So I was like, okay, here we go. I got to get left again. I'm good at this. <clears throat> Hmm. It's like a thousand little cuts along the way. It sounds like, I mean, from, you know, from when you were eight and your mom sharing that to being 10 and finding your mom with another man. And then, you know, the kind of reach out from the blue growing up to your dad winning the lottery and not, I, I can just feel that experience, you know, winning lottery and then, you know, you win $7 million, but even then, um, I didn't get anything, not a, not a dime. Yeah. Nothing. And even though you weren't even there for that, it wasn't, it wasn't about money. I completely hear that. In fact, I, I also hear in what you shared, like, hell no, I don't need anybody's money. <laughs> I got my own, um, and not having to rely on anyone in that way, but how, how cutting that is, you know, to be like, you win the lottery and still nothing. And then, you know, you find this stability and, uh, you know, have children and have this life ahead of you again, and then it gets ripped away. Um, and, and I think, you know, Ernie, I think what's, what's kind of the backside of like, hell no, I can take care of myself. I think what I found is all I really want to do is sometimes be taken care of because I've never like, and and I don't really even know how to define that. And I would have to say, honestly, because of where I came from, I'm not the best partner because I have so many deficits and so many holes that need to be met. Um, There's so many great pieces, but it's like, it's a lot. It's a lot to take on somebody with this many holes, you know, Um, it's not easy. Well, I mean, 
you could argue it's not really easy for anybody in any relationship. You know, I, one of the things that, you know, as you share your story, I, I just, I, I, I work with a lot of people, you know, around romantic relationship and, you know, I've been married, um, almost nine years and together with my wife for 11. And I, I am a hundred percent clear that the person that, you know, the two people that got married, um, are two different people today. Um, and I don't know how any marriage survives, any long-term relationship survives without therapy and healing and growth. Um, and so many relationships, like just kind of in our society, in our culture, there's, a, there's such a lack of awareness about, you know, for example, you know, how does our childhood experience play out in our adult relationships? I mean... It's not something that we talk about, and yet it is infused into every relationship, every friendship, um, how we are at work. And I think that the thing that, the, one of the things I hope most um, for this podcast and for people hearing your stories is like, you, you know, I'm sure uh, because you're a human being that there's some shame or, you know, I should have done something differently as a mom or a wife or you know, in that relationship. Um, and to, to let go of the way that we beat ourselves up mercilessly about that stuff, because the, that often occurred from our experience of growing up, like you had some really painful, any one of the things that you've shared would be enough to have a traumatic experience, um, and to have that inform your adult relationships. And you had a lot of them probably way more than we're even talking about today. And um, it just so pains me because we're basically beating ourselves up yes, for a deeply painful experience in the way that that showed up. And um, I think the hope of it is though, that when we talk about it, when we share, we hear other people's stories, like we can become aware of what are our needs here? You know, like naturally you would be really afraid to trust a man. I mean, trust anybody probably. Um, and so looking at what do, what do we need for ourselves, like inside um, to make, to tell ourselves that we're okay, that, you know, we can take care of ourselves, but we can also be open. That's been a really hard thing for me to learn. Like whether it's with a leader or um, it's with my wife or you know, I really also connected to wanting to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, that's, I think that is, as I get older, I can identify and isolate it. And I'm, 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 I say, oh, that's terrible. Beat myself up about it. But I'm, I'm really at the point where I'm like, you know what? That's honest. You know, sometimes I just feel like I've been taking care of like myself and taking care of, you know, so many things. And, um, I just, I just want to, I just want to, I just want a dad. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of coming to the, uh, the pain of knowing that in the, in the physical sense and the real sense, um, that that's not going to happen, you know, like, I think that's the real pain of the experience, but also can, um, set us on a new path, like, yeah. 
knowing that and you know i i know for me you know I, and i'm curious for you when your father passed um uh you know i had very little relationship with my father i think i met him you know four times uh throughout his life and i hadn't met him till i was 13 at all i didn't even see a picture um but even when even though even when he passed and i didn't find out until 3 months later um there was sort of a opportunity to begin to put it behind and mostly to put the fantasy behind, you know, like, you know, even, and I can imagine for you and I can hear the pain of it, you know, like, even though your father was essentially gone since you were 11, you know, you still held on to like, maybe he'll show up for me on my wedding day. You know, maybe he'll show up for me when he wins the lottery, you know, and then, you know, not having the experience. So when, when my father passed, I was able to kind of like, wow, that, that, that's never going to happen, which is devastating. And now what? Yeah. So what, what was that like for you? And it's obviously fairly <clears throat> fresh still, right? It's only been three, four yeah, years. So, so, you know, of course this is, you know, my dad, uh, had got ill with Parkinson's, which is a degenerative type of situation. And I started to have, you know, like maybe every six or seven months I would go out to grab lunch with him and he would start to shuffle and I knew things weren't, weren't good. And obviously with Parkinson's, you know, he started to say some crazy things. And, um, anyway, the, the long and the short of it was he, he, um, much like Parkinson's, he went out and he, um, he fell and broke his hip. So he was in and out of nursing homes for 10 months. And I was in touch with my stepmother and my half siblings to a degree, um, kind of helping to manage that situation, of course. And, um, long story short, um, when he was finally in palliative care, um, we brought him, my, my stepmother brought him home to his house and in New Jersey. And, and I was there like vigilant, um, because I'm a medical person, because I help physicians do procedures. I mean, I'm very, this doesn't scare me, this kind of stuff. You know, I'm, I just, I don't know, just doesn't scare me. And so I, you know, everybody else was just, oh, my dad was at a fever. They decided not to give him any medicine. And of course I, you know, literally pulled up a chair for two days and just held his hand mm. and was with him when he took his last breath. Mm. and just said, you know, I forgive you. And I just like whispered that to him, I forgive you. And so I was administering the morphine. And, you know, coordinating and taking care of all the palliative care nurses and ordering more morphine and, you know, basically saying that we're going to call this one a day, like no one needs to suffer anymore and continue to open his mouth and put the morphine down with the syringe mm. and put him out of his misery because he was suffering. Yeah. Wow. It makes me, uh, it makes me sad for him to know that 
um, how much you loved him and were there for him. <laughs> and that uh, he didn't get to have that experience of you and be, I imagine, who he really wanted to be for you. Yeah. I, I just don't think he could. Like, I, I don't ever think that he didn't love me. I think he loved me as much as he could love anything. I just think within himself, like he just couldn't get out from underneath the shame of not the shame of not being able to provide mm. the shame of maybe not being the father he knew he should have been to us. So instead of coming towards it and fixing it, he just went away from it because he, because of shame yeah. and shame is grows like, like Brene Brown says or whatever, if you don't, face it it just grows in a petri dish totally i was i was just thinking about that you know as you were saying that like you know and, and i think this is you know particularly true for men uh you know how we're taught to be about shame i mean i think it i think we're growing you know that i can talk about this i mean that would be really weird <laughs> 30 years ago um or 10 or 20 maybe um but yeah, I was thinking about that, you know, it's just kind of starts as like a little snowball at the top of a mountain. And like, you know, the more that occurs, it becomes this massive avalanche of shame that you just can't move past. Um, well, you can, I think it just, it just requires leaning into it, you know, and, and the thing that I'm so present to, and I, you know, if there's any absent fathers or distant fathers listening, you know, one thing I would, I'd always say is it wouldn't have taken much of anything, you know, just to all we really want is just to be connected to, like, it doesn't, we don't really want money. Just don't be a jerk. Like, don't ask us for money. That would be good. <laughs> but just be with us. Like, just talk, uh, spend time. Validation of like who you are as a human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious you know, you mentioned that you are a mother of two sons and mm -hmm. uh, I've certainly had my own experience of becoming a father um, and to a daughter, which I think is really cool because um, one thing I realized is that I didn't have to be a father to a boy, at least off the bat. I was like, oh, I don't have to deal with all that. Like, you know, how do you be a man stuff, which was, which will be probably weird if I do have a son. Um, probably not. I just realized I need to be present and love that person. But, um, for you as a, as a mom of two sons, I'm curious about that journey. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what you've noticed and I imagine, I imagine been there, there's been some healing experience through that as well. And uh, yeah. So tell me about that. What's, what's yeah. it been like being a mom to two sons? Yeah. So I would say that I'm, I would say out of a lot of the things I do, I'm a mom, a, a good mom, because it's a way to heal. Like you had mentioned, it's cathartic. So what I've realized in my parenting is that, you know, I feel I, what I, what I am doing is I'm actually raising myself when I'm raising my kids. And I've been honest with my two boys who are now 21 and 17 that, Hey guys, you're really benefiting from some of this. And some of it's a little over the top. And because really what I'm doing is I am giving you everything that I wished I could have gotten in, in lots of ways, you know, in, in just being present in just being, you know, maybe trying to be, and, and I, and I think they don't know any different. Um, but I will tell you, this is an in, very interesting 
my oldest, um, you know, my, my boys are very different, very, very, um, very awesome kids. I'm just so blessed. And like, it is healing. It, it is the healing piece. Like my kids have, have healed me. However, you don't know this yet, Rodney, but you have a three-year-old and that is like the love affair. And then what happens is they grow up because they're normal. Kids have to grow up. They leave you, right? Mm-hmm. So my 21-year-old is, you know, he's in he's in actually Bali right now in Sydney and he goes to college and he's in a fraternity and, you know, he's separating and it is very, very hard. And we are having an argument, he and I, about not too long ago, he was home on break. And he just said to me, I'm not your husband. I'm not your freaking husband. And I was like, and I'm not your freaking father. And I go, Oh my God. I was like, Whoa, I'm not, I'm not your father, mom. And he just gets up and walks away. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. What did you make of that? I had to sit back and had to think about, you know, first of all, was, was that just him being a, a kid that needed his, he needed, he was a little out of line. There's a little bit of that. Um, a 21 year old being out of line that would be interesting. That would be unusual. Being, being a little, being a little, being a little, a little out of line. So I would like <laughs> not knock that into shape. But, but in all, but in all fairness, um, having my kids has been the best experience in my life because it's how, it's my compass, right? It's my moral compass. It grounds me. It it's everything to me, um, and it's everything to me. Because I always thought that when you have your own children, it's like the first time in my life that that they say, they say just by being them, I, I will not hurt you. I cannot hurt you. And I will never, ever leave you. Mm-hmm. Like you, you just are, you're giving all of this to them. You're loving them. And you're like, this is like the best, this is like the best juju out there. Like I'm getting something like I'm, and when they do something that's normal, like 21 year old, probably somewhat normal. Like I'm growing up, I'm getting out of here. I have a girlfriend, like I love her. I'm having romantic relations with someone else. There's like this piece of you because I'm a female, you have boys. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, that's just um, hard, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's, and you know, it's weird. It's weird. Um, but it's, um, I, I, I realize that that's, you know, a, a my problem that my kids are going to leave me, but, but that I will say that that unconditional love, that sort of feeling that they, they'll always be mine, right? I gave birth to them. There's something about that for me that's very healing. I totally, I, t- I totally connect to that. Like I remember, um, there's a groundedness about it that I never experienced. Um, even, you know, I love my wife dearly and she's my person, but, um, when yeah. Gabby was born, it's just like, um, there's a, a connection that is so grounding, um, that I never experienced. I mean, I, I didn't really, for whatever reason, I didn't experience that like with my family as much, even with my mom and, um, but just didn't experience that. So I, I really, I get that. And, and I also hear, um, you know, it's another example where we can really use our story to beat ourselves up. You know, I hear that you have been, um, and I think this is also really common of a lot of people who grow up with absent or distant fathers, um, become extraordinary parents, um, and they're present and providing and like for them, 
And I really hear that that's who you've been for your kids and you've created really great kids. <laughs> I'm like, how cool that he's on this awesome adventure of life. He's in Bali and Australia and like, um, you know, obviously I don't think any parents really want to lose, lose their kids or see them, you know, leave, but you also have let him go too. Um, yeah. At least like the hurt, the hurt little girl. And I always, I catch myself and like the hurt little girl's like, oh my gosh, where are you going? And then I'm like, oh, just be an adult, um, be an adult. You know, I don't want, I am so happy. My kids, I mean, I'm sure everybody has stuff, right? I mean, no, everybody will have stuff, but I don't want my kids to ever have this feeling that I have, that I'm not good enough, that, you know, somebody's always leaving me that, you know, and, and you, and I, and to meet me, you would never know this ever. Like, <laughs> like this, no one, nobody would ever say, Oh, Courtney, are you really saying that? You know, cause I, act, I overcompensate. I act so strong. Like I've got the world on my pinky and I'm just spinning it. Yeah. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, and I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I hear is, um, you know, these opportunities. Because uh, what happens is, you know, people always leave, um, which to that scared inner child, like the younger part of us, it's like, well, what's the point? <laughs> like, why get into a relationship in some ways? Um, if people are always going to leave, but, um, one thing that's been really interesting, and I love what you shared about reparenting, like you notice as you've parented them that you've been parenting yourself. Yes. Um, and I've had that experience as well. Not, not as much, uh, mostly for me through some, uh, some recovery work that I've done. There's this, uh, 12 step program called adult children of alcoholics or dysfunctional families, but the recovery work and it really applies. I think, you know, for anybody listening out there looking for like, Oh, what can I do? Um, that program has been extraordinary for me. And it's really about reparenting that inner child and like being aware of, and I, I so appreciate all the self-awareness and insight that you've had about like, Oh, wow. These are my needs showing up like the little girl. Um, and part of what that program has given me is like an awareness that my inner child is showing up and that, um, rather than what I used to do, which was unsuccessfully try to get those needs met by other people, learn how to take care of that part myself. And to your point, like reparenting myself along the way yeah. has been such a gift. What are your thoughts on that? Is Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things I love about turning 50 is that, you know, I'm just in a different place. Like, um, and I'm seeing things in a, in a, different way. I'm still trying to reparent myself. I'm still trying to grow. I'm still trying to be better. Um, I'm, I'm very aware slash probably hard on myself about, you know, all my deficits. Um, but I'm, I'm just really honest. I still just really want a dad. <laughs> I still want someone to just love me unconditionally and say like, you're good no matter what. And I, I have a, a best friend who I've been friends with since I was seven and she has this super intact family. And she has this way and I see it. I mean, she adores her father. He adores her. And she's just, she's just complete. Like no, no, like no man. She's good because, because she's good with her dad. Like she's a great relationship with her husband. She's a great mom, but that is so grounding. That's like her brick and mortar. Yeah. I don't yeah. have it. Yeah. I totally, <laughs> I totally get that. Um, you know, I, 
can't remember. Um, oh, I was, you know, to your point, like I, there would often be times where I'm watching um, something and for some reason I have this like connection to baseball. I don't know. It's like very father son. I watch feel the dreams and formative years. <laughs> um, I didn't, I never realized like a lot of my favorite movies growing up, they were, um, had very, uh, strong father undertones like Top Gun and, uh, mm-hmm. field of dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just the other day I was watching, I was listening to a podcast interview with a prospect for the Cardinals, St. Louis Cardinals fan. And, uh, he was just talking about, you know, his father was a coach. And he has this connection to father. And, you know, I, I always see things it still, you know, to be like, to know that you missed out on that experience. So you don't get to have that. Well, I love that you talk about that and it being a male, because I think, see, see one of the things that you talk about in your podcast, I think is so powerful is that you have to stop the behaviors, you know, these, these, these bad things that, you know, that you do because they'll keep showing up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think we all have to be thinking about what we're doing, how we're parenting, um, because we're not parenting because it's going to show back up. Like we all have to be present in what we're doing and be committed to what we're doing, raising kids, whatever we're doing, treating other people, um, because it's, it's important. I mean, nobody wants to be, have a 51 year old kid that's saying, you know, all I want to do is be taken care of, you know, I mean, I, I certainly would die if my kids said that yeah yeah i don't gather they'll be saying that um i did want to ask you one other question and then before we kind of like look at you know uh we certainly got to the pain of the experience and i would love to look at the gifts of the experience um but one other question i want to ask you and this is uh there's probably some research that is aligned with this but one of the things that i have noticed is that um, there's something about, and some major challenges when, um, I've noticed this with parents. So when you're a parent and your kid becomes the age of around the same time that your most traumatic experience happened. So, um, you know, in your case, uh, around that age of eight to 10, uh, I'm just curious if there was any you know, as your kids became the age of, uh, the age that you were as a kid, um, when you experienced, you know, being eight and, you know, learning that there was something amiss with your parents' marriage and then 10 and 11 ish. Did you notice what were the, was there any like, um, major events or was that a catalyst at all for, for your experience or either healing or, or pain? Well, what, well, yeah, because uh, the same thing kind of happened to my my oldest at the same age, because my my first marriage and ended in divorce, um, and so you you have to scratch your head and say, wow. Um, so yes, and it was extremely painful to watch um, my oldest have to go through a divorce at the same. Time I did. I think that's it's a very tough time. Mm-hmm. It's Got like it. here we go again. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, my intention wasn't to bring something else to beat yourself up about, but you know, <laughs> if anybody is going through that experience, you know, if you have a 
if you have a child and you notice they're around the same age as the time that you had a really traumatic experience, you know, I just, I don't know what to do about it except to bring more awareness and compassion to like, you know, maybe I need additional support through this experience. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one thing that is cool that I want to also reflect is it sounds like I just hear you taking the lessons of your childhood and using it to be a better parent, uh, you know, in so many ways, like my sense is when you did get divorced, it doesn't sound like you crushed your, your ex-husband or their father. Well, later, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I could have been better. I could have been a lot better. I think I'm way better now. I think I was angry. I think I was hurt. I think I was acting pretty human. Um, but I think I've, I've really made peace with that. And, 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 uh, and I've understood that, you know, understood that, um, something wasn't complete, you know, that, that, that I could be better about it and that I was going to be better about it and that I could control how my reactions to things. Yeah. Well, I will take that. And if you, if you said you were okay about it, then you were probably pretty extraordinary given the circumstances. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I, I would love to, you know, as you've been sharing, I've been so present to, um, so many traits that I connect with. Um, and I just love to talk about, you know, through this experience, um, you know, what, what the gifts are, what the superpowers are along the way. Um, I was so present to, and really connected to, and I imagine a lot of the people will, will listen to this episode will really connect with, you know, even, um, in the midst of, a situation where most people would be totally taken out. Um, you were there, you know, as your father was passing, like mm-hmm. making sure that he got the right care, mm-hmm. being a leader, being the calm in the storm. Um, yes. To, you know, your, your career and your success and stuff like that. So tell me like, you know, in your, mm-hmm. in your mind, like, what do you think are the gifts? Yeah. From that yeah. experience. It's pretty hard to take me out. Um, I have a lot of grit and I'm very, very thankful for that gift. I mean, you get grit by being able to get through tough times and deal with adversity. And when you come out on the other side successfully, it builds a lot of confidence. And I've, you know, been able to get through a lot of a lot of difficult times and get out on the other end and experience happiness and, 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 and joy. And then, you know, obviously something else, it's just life occurs. So I think my ability to get back up and dust my ass off and keep going is, um, is, is one of the, 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 the gems, um, developing grit. And I think leadership qualities and like, I think also why I'm so good at, you know, you know, going into operating rooms and dealing with, I, I just, you know, unfortunately we lose patients sometimes, you know, I mean, it just happens. And sometimes it's a good thing you lose a patient because it, you'd rather see them not suffer anymore or, and I just don't get, I just don't get tweaked at all by anything. I mean, I just walk, I, I don't. And my mother think, I think it's crazy. You could do, tell me anything. 
you could say, and I will go, oh, wow. I mean, at work, I mean, whatever chaos we have or whatever problem is presented, I can take it, turn it inside out, apply some creativity to it, and, you know, off we go. Yeah. And I imagine the the intuitiveness as a leader and the, the ability to, and with patience as well, like to understand um, and know at a deep level that experience of heartbreak or pain and to be with it, um, I think is such a gift. I mean, even today, like the conversation we're having, you know, you're like an undercover coach, <laughs> you know, the, the level of awareness and insight and the depth of it all, like, it's so profound and I, I doubt it occurs that way to you. It took me years and years and years of like coaching people and being in a room with other coaches and seeing different things that occurred as totally natural. Um, and then other people were like, Oh my God, how did you see that? Or yeah, that people open up to you or allow you in in that way. Oh yeah. I mean, people, uh, that's a gift. I mean, I, I would say like, especially in sales, I can go into a room and be pretty perceptive about, maybe some of this is innate, but be pretty perceptive about what someone's thinking, who's the buyer, where's the hotspot, who's the closed person, who's the open person. Um, and and actually just in your private life, like I feel things, right? So I'll say to my husband, like, oh, I just feel that. And he's like, well, he's very logical. He'll say, you can't just feel that. I'm like, I just do. I, I know that that's what that person's thinking. And I think these are things that, you know, because these bad things and you get through them, I think you become highly tuned to things, right? You become highly tuned. And I'm, I'm not as judgmental either um, as I, I I'm, I'm very open about people's issues, problems. And, and um, because I, like you, I appreciate when people share these things because it makes me actually feel more normal. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is um, so true. And I think, you know, really one of my highest aims, you know, I remember uh, moments after I was on the, the life class for Oprah's fatherless sons episode Mm -hmm. uh, many years ago. um, And then I wrote the first blog which was really for me it yeah. was like you know I re- it occurred to me for the first time you know because of course by like 26 I was like oh I'm over this mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm over yeah. it I'm sure you had those moments in your life where you're like I'm over that it's all in the past yeah no big deal um and then it reoccurred to me that oh this is really impacting my life and I you know just writing whatever the first blog is on the absent father project blog um, and I just published it because I was like, if it just connects with one person, it's worth it. Um, it's important. It, this is such important work. It is such important work because it is, um, we have to keep talking about these things, right? So that people can reflect on what they're doing, their behaviors, how they're affecting other people, right? So that we can all just be better and if, and that we can all talk and connect because it's really it's nothing to be ashamed of. Cause sometimes I am ashamed of like when I'm talking to you, like, I mean, listen, you know, I've only told you like one third or one quarter of it all. Um, it's, it, you feel like a, like I feel like a leper, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, as kind of moving forward from here, um, I hadn't thought about this, but you know, I hope that even 
you know, you're sharing your story that there's some healing in that experience for you. And like, um, you know, for me sharing it and, uh, you know, starting with the Oprah's life class, um, and then, you know, turning into a podcast and all these things and getting to share and hear from so many people. Um, uh, I hope it can be a catalyst for like that movement forward because, you know, it's so true. Like, you know, even though you and I are talking about it, we're well aware that we are beating ourselves up mercilessly for deep pain that we experienced. Um, which is crazy because, you know, if we were talking about our kids or if we were talking about your sons and they were like, you know, they had had your experience growing up and, and then they were, you know, they were scared or sad or wanted somebody to take care of them. They wouldn't be beating themselves up about, well, they might be, but you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be like, you're a bad person for being scared or for yes. being sad or for wanting to be taken care of or having needs. You would be like yeah. present with them. And yeah. I think that that is been the coolest opportunity in this experience is going from the pain of knowing that I would never have the father I always wanted to the freedom in learning how to love and take care of my own needs. Um, but also learning to become open to the people that are worthy of trust, you know, rather than just kind of shutting everyone away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how, you know, I think doing all of this is so important, but something to think about is in what you just said is, um, we're human. So we, we err, um, and we can have these great moments where we talk and connect and, and talk about these shameful things that have happened to us. But we need to can have a way and a vehicle to continue to heal, much like people, you know, stay on a workout regimen, you know, or keep healthy, you know, because these things don't go away. It's just learning to manage them. Yeah. Yeah. And I would offer like, um, and th by the way, I'm, I'm sort of, we're, we're kind of into a conversation now, like, what do we do with this? Um, and, and part of the reason is because, you know, one of the things I get is, um, I think my first step and the first step of any of this work is to become aware, like yeah. to be aware. I spent plenty of my life and I'm guessing you too, like where, you know, rather than be being aware, I was like, let me just work harder and achieve more. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, you know, we get busy with the rest of life, but so first part is becoming aware, but um, a lot of people will reach out and be like, so what do I do now? Like, what do I do with this? And is there a path forward? And, um, one of the things I would offer is that there are opportunities to heal, um, uh, whether it's with the recovery work, like the ACA, the 12 step program, people can look at that adult, I think it's adultchildren.org. Um, but also, you know, I had this experience growing up or well, not growing up, I had this experience working with this sort of, um, therapist where we did this work where it brought me back to my birth mm. which was really weird <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um I just want to share it real quick it brought me back to my birth and um the way it works is it's sort of like a meditative thing and mm. you walk backwards and you know I don't know about you but for me when like even when I was born being a bastard in quotation marks 
Mm-hmm. Um, I felt rejected from the beginning, like there right. was something fundamentally wrong. Yes. And I mm-hmm. felt unprotected um, and alone. And uh, anyway, in this meditation, it had me re-experience that the moment of my birth, which was really, <laughs> it's really out there. But what I, w- what I was present to is that even at that moment, um, there was protectors around me. There, were, there was something present throughout all of these painful experiences. Um, and I don't know if that would be healing for everyone, but for me, it really put something to rest. Um, so I would offer that mm-hmm. to folks. And mm-hmm. yeah. Well, what else would you like to share? Um, yeah, I just, I just, you know, I, I just want to thank you for, um, you know, having this platform. I didn't really know if I was going to do it or not. Um, I think sometimes by saying it, it, it is real. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and, and, and for you, the reason I do it is because if you can help somebody else, then it's worth it. If you can help somebody else say this is real or deal with something that's super painful um, because you can really heal yourself by helping somebody else. And that's, that's why I do that. That's, that's why I wanted to do this. Hmm. Well, I think you have absolutely done that for sure today, if no one else, me. Because <laughs> um, getting to hear your story uh, was a huge gift. And um, I just, I just want to acknowledge you for who you are. Um, the what emerges in being with you is just your humongous kind heart. Um, and I get the pain and I hate that that occurred for you, but I'm also present to the difference that you have made in the world. Um, both through all the patients that you have served and the, the physicians that you've made better. And as a mom, like what a gift it is to be that kind of mom to those boys. Um, I really thank you for that. And thank you for your story. And thank you for being the leader that you are. And um, my wish for you is that at least every year along the way, as you get older, and it sounds like you've already been doing this, is that um, you, you get to see yourself the way that you are. Uh, versus that old crappy story that you and I made up <laughs> yeah. all those years ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you thank so you. very much for being on the show today and for sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you so much for your awesome podcast. I love it. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something from Courtney's story. She was such a courageous, vulnerable guest. I really, really appreciate her sharing her story. And once again, you've been listening to the Absent Father podcast. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you find the podcast. And again, if you'd like to get in touch, share your stories, or be considered as a guest for the next episode, You can reach out to me via RodneyMuller.com. Until next time.